Welcome to an hour of your life, Unmasked. I'm Kim. And I am Steve. And Kim has been waiting for this episode for probably four or five weeks now. I am so excited. Um, I it's so it's probably just as well that last week went a little bit long because I don't know that we will probably be right at an hour close to, um, but it'll definitely be a shorter episode than last week. But yes, I'm so excited for this week's show. Why is that? I well, part of it is because I took the reins on this week. Um, I mentioned last week I've been working a lot and doing homework a lot for school. I'm almost done with this semester. Thank goodness. But Steve has been doing all of our research. But I wanted I I love this man so much that I wanted you to do the research. <laughs> well, I love you too. Um, and so, uh, or let's just jump right into it. Well, wait a minute. No, no, no. I got to introduce it. I got away. Unless you wanted to talk about something else. Well, I was going to talk about something else. Oh, okay. Go ahead. The water company here in Southwest Ohio has to be making a fortune right now. It is miserable outside. And everyone is trying to, where we live, it's a fairly new area and there's no grass growing. So they've planted a lot of seed and... Everyone is out there every night watering their grass, trying to get their grass to grow, and it is just... If you're a kid, it's probably heaven, because you can just, like, it's a neighborhood, and there's a lot of kids, especially, there's a lot of little girls, it seems like, Um, but they're all, like, you can just run from house to house, just go from sprinkler to sprinkler, and nobody cares, so if you're a kid, it's it's probably awesome, but... You know what? I'm looking forward to trick-or-treat this year, because for so many years, we've lived in a place where there were no kids to go trick-or-treating. And our, this year, we should have trick-or-treaters. And I'm excited life, about that. Yeah, we our entire married life, we've never had trick-or-treaters. 16 years. Yeah. We've never lived someplace where so we have trick-or-treaters. I'm excited because I like to see the kids come in all their little costumes and their masks. Yeah. I like passing out the candy. Jack and Rupert, well, we don't know how they act. You know, we hear a lot of stories about how the dogs get all excited. I'm sure Rupert will love it. Jack, I um, I don't trust him, but... Jack will be excited tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Jack likes to run. Jack, the the yard is going to get a fence tomorrow where Jack can now go out and run to his little heart's content. He's been stuck in, what would you say, 12 by 12, roughly? No, I'd say closer to... Not even. 20 by 15. Really? Yeah. You think it's so big? Yeah. Um, Just like a little staked off chicken wire area that Steve put out because, like you said, there's no grass, and so... Um, there's really no grass in that part, but it's okay because we're going to turn it into a patio anyway, so we don't really need grass there. But Jack, who's used to having not quite a half acre, but probably, I mean, I'd say a good quarter acre at least. It was a half acre. To run it. Well, but that was the whole lot. Yeah. Um, I would say at least a good quarter acre of the, the lot was our backyard, and so he's used to having that big area, and he just doesn't. So Yeah, he's... he's uh... He's going to be one happy dog tomorrow because this dog likes to run. He will sit there and bark at you to let him outside, and he will go out and stand like on the deck and bark until you come out mm-hmm. to watch him, and then he'll leap off the deck. He will be in midair. He'll turn around. He'll turn his head around to watch to see if you're watching him, and then he had his loop. He had his pattern. They would run, and when he would run by, he would run by, Ears flopping, tail wagging, and he would turn his head to make sure that you were still watching him. But that dog will run probably eight, nine hours a day. Yeah, and I'm really curious. And that is not an exaggeration. No, it's not. It's not. Um, I'm really curious because we're getting an electronic fence, so we're not getting like an actual physical barrier that you can see. So I'm really curious how, because even right now in his little enclosure, he runs along the edge of the physical barrier. So once he doesn't have that anymore, I'm really curious to see if he's just going to run along the outside of where, you know, it buzzes and then it shocks him. I mean, it's not like bad shock or whatever, but I'm really curious if he's going to It's run. described as a mild irritation. Yeah. I can picture Jack being that dog that just runs right around like the buzzy edge and wears that as battery on his collar. One of the reasons I decided to go, we decided to go with an electronic fence because with, like, a lot of dogs, if he runs along the perimeter, he'll start making a track mm-hmm. where that is. 
with the with the electronic fence, we can amp it up just a little bit and push him back. Yeah, that's true. Five feet until he. Uh, yeah, I'm curious though if he's going to try to run around a perimeter. If he's just gonna, no, he doesn't have anything to see. If he's just gonna, he'll learn. Run. Yeah, no, he'll get a vibration. You think he'll? Yeah, yeah, he'll he'll get that, and that's part of the training that he'll go through is that he'll learn that when he gets the vibration. Yeah. That that's his limit. So you'll have to listen next week. Um, I'm really excited for next week's show too. Hopefully Jack will still be here and, yeah. and just like so leap through it. So we'll give you an update on how he's doing, training, and everything. Um, I'm excited for next week's show. We finally have an interview uh, again. Do you want to tell him? No, let's on? let's save we'll that. Okay, yeah. so we have an interview next week. Um, it's kind of a follow up interview. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But it's been a busy few weeks. We had oppression, taxation, an uprising, a war, the birth of a new nation, the creation of the United States Constitution. By the way, something to think about with that, regard to that Constitution. It only gives people the chance to pursue happiness. You have to catch it yourself. Who said that? You don't know who said that? Well, who said that? Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, my man. I love Ben Franklin. He was a scientist, an inventor, a politician, a philanthropist, a businessman. He, he was more than a philanthropist. He was a philanderer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, he's the only founding father who signed all three documents that freed America from Britain. So the Treaty of Paris, the Declaration of Independence. He was there for the Constitution. Um He's credited with drafting the Declaration of Independence in the American Constitution. Uh, he negotiated the Treaty of Paris, which, of course, ended the War of Independence against Britain. Um, and I don't think a lot of people really know that much about Ben Franklin. Um, he, he just, I can relate to him. Uh, he just seems like a, a fun guy to hang out with. Um, he's one of those people that you always hear, you know, if you could have dinner with anybody living or dead who would you want to have dinner with and ben franklin i would say definitely is in my top five okay um so he he's he came from a fairly middle class family and he was the 15th of 17 kids between his father's two wives well you know the babies always have the best personalities uh, that's what they say So Ben's dad, Josiah Franklin, emigrated to Boston with his first wife in the early 1680s. When well, she- before we get too far. Yeah. So Kim is going to take the oh, yeah. lead on this. And I am just going to jump in and comment. And I have a lot of Ben Franklin quotes. Ben Franklin, um, he, he said a lot of really great things. So you're going to hear a lot of uh, some witty things, some profound things, some just silly things. Um, throughout the course of the show that are attributed to him. Uh, and, and so some of them I found, some of them Steve found. There's uh, entire books out there of Ben Franklin quotations. Well, his almanac had a lot. Yes. But uh, you'll cover gonna, that. We're going to talk about the almanac, okay. too. So Josiah emigrated with his first wife in the early 1680s, and when she died, he married Benjamin's mom. Now, Josiah Franklin worked with tallow, so he made soaps and candles and, and you know... Things of that nature. Uh, Benjamin's mother... Waxy type things. Yeah. Benjamin's mother was the daughter of a former indentured servant and a rebellious school teacher. Uh, His grandfather, Peter Folger, was jailed for disobeying the local magistrate in defense of middle-class shopkeepers and artisans in conflict with wealthy landowners. So he had that... um, He was raised with that sort of independent, rebellious mindset. Uh, but his his parents were pretty strict Puritans. So it was really interesting. You've got the um, maternal grandparents who are very sort of, they got this fire in their belly and independent spirit. And then you've got his, his mom and his dad who are kind, not necessarily the opposite, but they're pretty, they're pretty laid back, like religious, good quality stock. Um, ben, of course, would follow in his granddad's footsteps and change the American landscape forever. Time for a quote. Go for it. Love your enemies, for they tell you your faults. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1756. I like it. Uh, interestingly... That's my part this week. <laughs> there you go. 
So you said the babies are always the the most fun and the most well adjusted, and everybody yep. loves the babies. Yep. Interestingly, although he was the youngest son, remember he had sixteen brothers and sisters. Even though he was the youngest son, he generally recalls being the leader of the boys in his family, which is interesting. He recalls it that way, so I don't know if that's actually. True. I wonder what his older brother or I his know. older sister said. Yeah, I don't know. They probably had a different opinion. They probably did. Um, Josiah wanted Ben to join the clergy, but there wasn't enough money for him to continue his education, so Ben continued his education on his own by just reading constantly. Um, His formal schooling was over at age 10, which is mind-blowing to me. Well, that's time for another good quote right here. All right, go for it. He that falls in love with himself will have no rivals. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1739. Okay. (laughs) Our oldest granddaughter is 11, and she's very smart, and I love her, and she, she, she thinks big thoughts, but she still has a lot to learn. I can't imagine her being completely done with her schooling and just going out into the world, which is what happened to Ben Franklin. By the time he was 12, he was an apprentice to his older brother, James. Um, so this, uh, it's interesting. I like that he said he considers himself a leader among the boys, and yet he was an apprentice to his older brother. Um, James was a printer, and he taught Benjamin the trade, the printing trade. And so at 15, James published the first independent newspaper in the colonies called the New England Current, uh, but he wouldn't let Ben contribute. So... Um, I don't, I don't know, maybe Ben thought that he was the leader of the boys, and James was like, mm you're not contributing to my paper. So guess what he did? What did he do? He did what any good writer would do. He got a new identity. Silence Duguid was a middle-aged widow whose letters became quite the subject of conversation around Boston. This is the way old Silence described herself. Quote, I am an enemy to vice and a friend to virtue. I am one of an extensive charity and a great forgiver of private injuries, a hearty lover of the clergy and all good men, and a mortal enemy to arbitrary government and unlimited power. I am naturally very jealous for the rights and liberties of my country, and the least appearance of an encroachment on those invaluable privileges is apt to make my blood boil exceedingly. I have likewise a natural inclination to observe and reprove the faults of others, at which I have an excellent faculty. I speak this by way of warning to all such whose offenses shall come under my cognizance, for I never intend to wrap my talent in a napkin. To be brief, I am courteous and affable, good-humored unless I am first provoked, and handsome and sometimes witty. There was never a good war or a bad peace. Letter to Sir Joseph Banks, President of the Royal Society of London, July 1783. Also cited in a letter to Quincy Sr., American merchant planner and politician in September 1783. He must have liked that quote. What do you think of Silence Do Good? Interesting. Um, She also wrote things like, quote, Whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. Now, keep in mind, when he wrote that, Ben Franklin was 16 years old. That's pretty... I don't know any other 16-year-old. Maybe I am just was just hanging out with the wrong kids in school, but I don't know any other 16-year-old who would be that eloquent. Oh, like this? He that lies down with dogs shall rise up with fleas. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1783. No, that sounds more like a 16-year-old saying. Okay. <laughs> Eventually, Ben left the apprenticeship without permission, running away to Philadelphia as a fugitive. Now, this is a little confusing. Apprenticeship was a legally binding contract. So if you left something like, um, it was something like an indentured servant running off. So even though it was, he was working as an apprentice for his brother, he still, James was still, um, you know, it was, a, it was a contract between the two of them. And James was still basically responsible for him um, and and. Benjamin was still liable to James, so, um, you know, he, he was breaking the law by, by running off. Uh, the governor of Philadelphia actually encouraged him to go to London to acquire the equipment necessary to start another Philadelphia newspaper, but when Governor Sir William Keith essentially withdrew his help, 
Ben looked for the help of merchant Thomas Denham to get him back home. You okay? You want to say a quote? No. Okay. So I'm listening. Okay. Well, you can you can talk a little bit too. I will. Okay. So Franklin began to work for Denham as a clerk, shopkeeper, and bookkeeper in his business. And upon his return to Philadelphia, he founded the Leather Apron Club. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, And the group's purpose was to discuss the ideas of the day. And because books were very expensive, they started to share them with one another. And eventually, Franklin came up with the idea of a subscription library, which would pool the funds of the members to buy books for everybody to read. You know what that sounds like to me? What's that? A library. It was the birth of the Library Company of Philadelphia, which today is a renowned scholarly and research library. Me and Ben are like this. It just, do you have a leather apron too? No. What do you use yours for? I don't. Anyway, eventually. Better, better slip with foot than tongue. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1734. Mm, that's true. I had a, um, I had. I had one of those today, actually. A Freudian slip? No, it wasn't a Freudian slip. It was just um, it was a bad phone call. Uh, anyway, so eventually Thomas Denham died, and Ben went back to being a printer. He became the publisher of a newspaper called the Pennsylvania Gazette in 1729. And finally, he was able to write and publish what he wanted under his own name. And so he developed quite the reputation as a very intellectual young man. But no matter how renowned he got, though, he always signed his name, B. Franklin, printer. I did not know that. So later on in his life, he would get very prestigious um, degrees conferred upon him by Princeton and Yale and Harvard and basically like all of the current Ivy League schools. He was, I mean, he, he traveled the world and was famous throughout the world. B. Franklin, printer. All right. Um, however... So was he modest? I think so. I, I really... I think he was. I think that he knew... I mean, by the time he died, he was a very wealthy man, very famous. Um, but he... I don't know that fame really changed him or his personality that much. Um, you'll kind of see as we go through the show. But he... Uh, he just... Uh, he's like Opie. <laughs> um, so I I don't know if we talked about it last year. Um, Steve every year, well, and normally I would go too, but I had to work this year. Uh, we know a guy by the name of Opie, who I always refer to Opie as, as a redneck with money. Uh, and I I love him dearly. He's the kindest man, but he has um such a heart for veterans. He does this huge fireworks show every year. Um and he, you know, is open to anybody that wants to come. He asks for a $10 donation, but you don't have to pay. If you can't pay, you can't pay. It's no big deal. And he caters in food. He has air-conditioned porta-potties on his farm. Um, people bring in potluck stuff. And he does fireworks to rival any city fireworks that you can so see. So last year, they had parachutists jump in. And from their boots, it wasn't just like sparklers. They had star clusters Shooting in off their boots as they as they jumped in this year, it was it looked like the right flyer coming down. Four guys jumped out of an airplane, and the way they tandem not tandem up, but the way they formed up, it looked like the right flyer coming down. They had three huge flags trailing off them. It was it was a really cool sight. And he does during the you know I think we'll we'll put that on the um, on our Facebook page. Okay. Um, during the 4th of July event, too, he does a silent auction, and he auctions off things like last year, he auctioned off two African safaris, which, I mean, you can't do this year because of COVID, but he'll auction off, I mean, very, you know, expensive big ticket items and some small it's, ticket but items, But it's, it's donations from people in the community that donate this stuff. Right, but all of the money from the auctions goes to veteran organizations. Yeah. Uh, Wounded Warrior Project, um, all, you know, organizations like that. He doesn't keep a penny of it. And that's kind of how I picture Ben Franklin, is he didn't change, but once he got money, he was able to, to be more of himself with money, if that makes sense. Um, so anyway, but like, like all of the founding fathers, Ben Franklin had his flaws. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't a big fan of the Germans who had settled in Pennsylvania, 
And he referred to, quote, blacks and tawnies. I'm not sure what a tawny is. Um, but as weakening the social structure of the colonies, he said that Native Americans were drunken savages who delight in war, take pride in murder, and he also had a poor opinion of Jews, Catholics, and low women. And, yes, at various points in his life, Ben Franklin owned slaves. However, one of the things that I really like about Ben Franklin is that he was nothing if not open-minded and teachable. So, in the 1760s, when white Americans attacked an Indian settlement, he labeled the attack white savagery, and then after taking the time to visit a school for black children, he declared that he left with a higher opinion of the black race than I had ever before entertained, conceding that slaves' tendency to thievery might be more attributed to their situation than to nature, uh, and he actually went on to go found um, some schools for, um, for black children. Which would now be the equivalent of a HBC yeah. or Historical Black yeah. College University. So yeah. later on in life, and I'm sure you'll cover this, but he actually became an abolitionist. He was. Yeah. Um, so, and, but that was, I mean, that was so complicated. He, he changed his mind about a lot of things as he grew and kind of, I mean, I think that's with anybody. You grow and you mellow with age and you... So do you think it'd be fair to say that he was a product, initially a product of his upbringing, but oh, as he learned and studied, he changed his opinions oh, about stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And I really respect that about him. I think that's a rare quality um, in anybody ever because a lot of times when someone makes their mind up about something, you know, you've made your mind up and that's the way it is. And, and it's often hard for people to be open-minded enough to realize, yeah, I was wrong about my opinions. Um, but not so for Ben Franklin. He, he was always changing his mind about things and learning and discovering. And, um, and, and I have a, a great deal of respect for that. Uh, also, yes, he was flawed, but it is important to remember the times and not look at the 1700s through the lens of 2020. So Ben Franklin, flawed though he was by today's standards, was actually extremely progressive for his day. Uh, it, so as we're learning about all of this stuff, just kind of keep in mind the times then are not times now. So, back to printing. So, wait, that's like time for a good quote right here. Oh, go for it. Look before or you'll or you'll find yourself behind. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1735. Hmm. Okay. Right. Uh, so, back to printing. Ben had an interesting take on the subject. He looked at it as a service to God. Uh, so, maybe in a throwback to childhood aspirations of being a member of the clergy, he felt like it was his duty to instruct readers on subjects of morality despite occasionally dipping into some immoral activities himself. Well, he's none of us are perfect people. So one example can be found in a letter written to an unknown young man in which an elderly Ben writes, In all your amours, you should prefer old women to young ones. He goes on to explain that with older women, they tend to have more discretion, will take care of you when you're sick, they're cleaner than prostitutes, <laughs> and there's no hazard of children. He also offered that you can't really tell who's older, who's young, well, when you're so, in the dark. So how old were these women? <laughs> old, old enough to I mean, not. Are we talking like <laughs> granny age or what here? He said, uh, you can't really tell who's old or who's young when you're in the dark. <laughs> so, uh, and that's, that's, that's a Ben Franklin quote. That's not a Kim quote. That was something he said in his letter. Um, and now as a younger man himself, Ben had actually ruined a friendship by pursuing his buddy's mistress and by gallivanting literally all over the world with those low women of ill repute that he looked down on. So, but um, Ben did want to make an honorable woman of Miss Deborah Reed. When he, the story is, is both funny and sad at the same time. Uh, when he was just 17 and she 15, he proposed... But her mother was a recent widow, and so she denied the request because she wasn't sure that he would be able, at 17, remember, he's still just kind of a lowly printer. Um, she wasn't sure that he would be able to provide a stable and decent life for her daughter. Yeah. You know, she doesn't have a husband anymore to kind of look out for her daughter's interests. So um, during that period of time when Governor Keith sent Ben on a wild goose chase to London, Deborah married somebody else. Uh-oh. Now, can I throw something in here, too? Sure. So that sounds very young to be married. But again, we have to look at it in perspective of that time. Yes. Even my grandmother 
was married at 14 years old, and that was not an uncommon thing. It was not like, whoa, she's 14 and getting married. It was like, right. well, think she's 14, it, it's time it's, to get married. It's still a little bit young. Think of it in terms of, like, in today's terms, it would be like if you were 19 or 20 and getting married. I don't think so. Like, you're still, um, you know, you're just, at 17 back then, at 17, you're just kind of just starting out with your life. So he wasn't established. He wasn't. Um, different times, different standards. Right. Uh, anyway, so Deborah should have gone with her number one because new husband John Rogers quickly racked up a bunch of debt and took off to Barbados with her dowry. Uh, since no that low life. I'm telling you. And since no one could verify what happened to him, she was never able to remarry because of bigamy laws. So. So were any pirates operating at this time? Possibly. Uh, so she like should have just Blackbeard. So yeah, right. <laughs> so poor Deborah. Her mom was like, "No, you can't marry Ben." Um, and so she marries this John guy, thinking that he was a better prospect, and took all her stuff and left her high and dry. So she, when when Ben got back to Pennsylvania, uh, they shacked up as common law husband and wife, complete with his illegitimate son. Just for a little tidbit of information, used to in the state of Ohio, if you lived and presented yourself as man and wife, after seven or eight years, it became a common law marriage. But Ohio no longer has common law marriage. Right. I don't believe they don't. I don't yep. think they do. They don't recognize it anymore. Uh, so they, um, so in September of 1730, uh, they, I don't know how common law marriage worked. Uh, back in the 1700s, but that's what we have, that in 1730, in September, they became common law husband and wife. Um, Deborah took in Ben's illegitimate son. Um, They had two children of their own, Francis, who died of smallpox at age four, and Sally, who later married a Pennsylvanian businessman. Now, So are there any of, is any of Ben Franklin's DNA present in these days. Oh, I'm sure. Okay. I would assume so, yeah. Um, now, I'm sure, and yes. I, yeah, I would I would almost guarantee yes, because we Ben Franklin had one illegitimate child that, that we know of. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay, so you may have a surprise with 23andMe. Yeah. Okay. You, you may hit the genetic jackpot. Um, now, I'm sure there was love between Ben and Deborah, but she was essentially... Kim, yes. don't throw stones at your neighbors if your own windows are glass. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1736. I'm going to throw a stone at this one. Okay. Deborah was the 16th century version of an anti-vaxxer, and oh. she never got Francis inoculated against smallpox, so Benjamin really... Uh, he, he couldn't help but kind of blame her for his death. Um, now, we kind of did some, some digging into this. Um, you brought up that there was not a smallpox vaccine until when? Do you remember? I don't remember the exact... Like 1780-something, yeah. right? Um, so long after... 1781 or 86 or something, something like that. Something like yeah. that. And then it wasn't patented or like really developed even until much later than that, but... Um, there was an inoculation, which is something a little different than a vaccine. So at this point in time, they knew about smallpox. They kind of knew how to treat it. Um, but essentially what would happen, it's kind of gross, but they would take a string and run it through the pustule of a, a person who had smallpox and let it dry out. So essentially you had the smallpox vaccine, a weakened strain of it, on a string. And then they would make an incision... Um, in a person and then draw the string through that incision, thereby infecting the, um, the healthy person with sort of a diluted uh, strain of smallpox. I have a smallpox. Yeah. On my shoulder. I do not. Yep. They, they, we pretty much eradicated it by the time I came along. Uh, although I hear it's making a comeback, among other things. Uh, from what I read about this, because I did a lot of research on this for other topics, mm-hmm. Is that it is re- eradicated. eradicated? Eradicated, but there are still strains that are being kept in mm. laboratories for other use. Now, uh, the, you know, 
people with not so such good intentions may have them stored for um, the next coronavirus. Well, no, for a biological weapon. Right. So yeah, so there you can still get vaccinated. Even yeah. Matthias yeah. Matthias was uh, vaccinated with with smallpox, even though it had been eradicated. Interesting. Yeah. Well, do they still have it in other parts of the world? Like no, no, it's it's pretty much no, it's it's pretty much been eradicated from the world. That oh. and polio, cool. except there are strains that are kept in laboratories for research. You know, who knows? It, it could bring itself about again somehow. We don't know, or another strain, or you know, something right. like that. But they do keep that, and I'm sure in countries that are not exactly up to. Uh, I don't know what to say about that. But third world countries? No, not even third world countries. But there are other countries that probably have strains of it that mm-hmm. they are keeping for a potential biological weapon. Gotcha. Now, that is pure speculation on my part. Yeah. I don't know, it but it's just, it's just a good guess. Yeah. So, um, so Deborah never... The, and the, what I have read is that basically... So, the inoculation against smallpox was really it was more of like do you live in an area where you're likely to get smallpox has there been an outbreak of smallpox if so then let's get everybody inoculated if you hadn't been exposed like if you weren't really living in an area where there was a smallpox outbreak you don't really need to worry about it so our, our founding fathers we mentioned this last week imposed quarantines because yeah. of smallpox. Yeah. So the stuff that we're going through now is not unheard of. It right. was done. Even our founding fathers did this. Yeah. So um, it's likely that she wasn't so much of like an anti-vaxxer, anti-vaxxer as, you know, Benjamin probably, you know, being a scientist and, and being cautious, probably wanted his son vaccinated. Uh, I say vac- inoculated. Um, and she probably, you know, there was a risk. There was, a, was about a 2% risk that you could contract serious smallpox with the inoculation and, and end up dying. Um, but it was a risk that most people were willing to take. It sounds like Deborah just was not one of those people. Uh, so she didn't get him inoculated and he ended up dying. Um, but she was also afraid of the ocean. So she never went with Ben to... Maybe she was afraid of seagulls. Maybe she was. <laughs> Uh, she never went with Ben to England or France, which is also part of the reason why he was able to so freely pursue other women, because there was no wife there to kind of keep him in check. <laughs> um, so, by the way, that illegitimate son that we mentioned that moved in with them, uh, his name was William. Wait a minute. He that would live in peace and at ease must not speak all he knows or judge all he sees. Mm. Poor Richard's almanac. 1736. Wise words from America's sage. So, Ben's illegitimate son was named William. His mother is unknown to history. William also fathered an illegitimate son named William, born on the same day as his father to another unknown woman, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, The younger William, the grandson, was placed in foster care, uh, the older William became the last royal governor of New Jersey. Now, William and his dad had very, older William and his dad had very different opinions on America. William was a loyalist. Ooh. Yeah. And while both men served jail time for their respective positions, Benjamin, likely thinking of his son, pleaded for mercy with regard to British loyalists who had raised arms against the colonies. And the two seem to have parted ways with each other in the early 1770s. Although, um, it sounds... I'm not really sure how how everything worked out between William the grandson and Ben Franklin. Uh, but it sounds like uh, they managed to keep in contact because at one point, Ben Franklin did take his grandson William with him overseas. Well done is better than well said. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1737. Indeed. Um, So let's talk about some of the things that Ben Franklin is known for today in popular culture. Uh, He first published Poor Richard's Almanac in 1733. That's one of the... That's something that I get, Steve, every year. That's your one stocking stuffer that I get you every year at Christmas time. Do you get me the Farmer's Almanac? Yeah. 
Oh. Not poor Richards. Well, whatever. <laughs> Same basic idea. Um, why is it called Poor Richard's Almanac and not Poor Ben's Almanac, Steve? Do you know? No, I really don't. Okay, well, I'm, I'm about to tell you. Um, it's because of Ben Franklin's apparent fondness for pseudonyms. So everybody knew that he wrote it, but uh, the attributed author was a guy called Richard Saunders. So he wrote it under an assumed name of Richard Saunders, and Richard Saunders repeatedly denied that he was Ben Franklin, even though everybody knew that he was. So why Ben Franklin wrote under a pseudonym? Because he's Ben Franklin. He does what he wants. I don't know. But that's why it's called Poor Richards and not Poor Ben's. Um, a lot of great quotes come from... Wait a minute. Oh, go ahead. I'm going to jump ahead here, but this fits. What you seem to be, be really. Poor Richards Almanac, 1744. Ooh. Okay, Ben. Hypocrite. Uh, okay, so a lot of great quotes. But that's of, different than writing under a pseudonym. That is, I'm yeah. sorry, Ben. <laughs> um, a lot of great quotes come from Poor Richard's Almanac, including some of the ones that Steve has thrown out already, but also a, an often misquoted famous quote. It is not a penny saved is a penny earned. That's not how the original quote goes. It is a penny saved is two pence dear. Tuppence. So I don't know what tuppence is. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a British form of money. I don't know what it's worth. But apparently a penny saved is tuppence dear. This is one of my favorites, too. Wise words. Fish and visitors stink in three days. (laughs) (laughs) Not true. Always. As my daughter, her husband, and four children lived with us for... Almost five months going on six months. And that was a very enjoyable period. It was, but I would say that doesn't count as visitors. Okay, that's fair enough. So visitor, fish and visitors stink after after three days. Uh, You like this one. Unless you're my friends. Then you can stay as long as you want to. You know we've got friends that we don't care how long they come and stay. We have friends that we don't care how long they come and stay, but we do have some friends that, um, you know, three three days is great to see you. Have a great trip home. (laughs) I was going to say name one, but we're not going to do that. (laughs) Um, They're the ones that don't listen to the show. (laughs) Anyway, um, this is, I think I've heard you say this quote. A true friend is the best possession. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1744. One should not possess their friends. But I'll see your friend quote and raise you, a friend in need is a friend indeed. Ben Franklin said that. Did you know that? A right heart exceeds all. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1739. Um, So this is the one that you've thrown out a couple times with uh, your conspiracy theory stuff. Three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. That is pretty much true. <laughs> that's that's kind of your philosophy on life, I think. On conspiracy theories. Some of these things are just so far out there. And if you really put your brain to work on it, you know there's no way it can be true because there's no way that that many people could put together yeah. and keep that Three a secret. Three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. Um, he stopped writing the Almanac in 1758. Uh, is it still published today? I was getting my farmers and my old... Ben, old Richard, poor Richard's mixed up. I don't know if it's still uh, today or not. No, poor Richard's Almanac is no longer published, but we were referencing the Farmer's Almanac. Mm -hmm. It was published about the same time, so it's been around a long, long time, but it wasn't Ben Franklin's Franklin's publication. I get them them confused. Um, Okay, so good to know. Uh, in addition to being a great writer and philosopher, um, Ben Franklin loved science, and he was a heck of an inventor. He never patented anything, though, because as he wrote in his autobiography, as we enjoy great advantages from the inventions of others, we should be glad of an opportunity to serve others by any invention of ours, and this we should do freely and generously. So he never he, he believed that inventions belonged to the masses, he was making money at other places. He didn't need to patent them. He wanted it just to be for the good of mankind. Do you know Ben Franklin went to the gym and worked out? No. I didn't yeah, because he came up with this quote. No gains without pains. 
which now you see on shirts. Right. No gain, no pain. But that was Ben Franklin. No gains without pains. I, Poor Richard's Almanac, 1745. I don't think that swole gains were what he was talking about there, but maybe so. Uh, some of the things that Ben came up with, the glass harmonica, not to be confused with the metal harmonica. I've never seen a glass harmonica, but apparently it was quite the instrument, um, and it produces a very different sound than a metal harmonica. Um, the, the Franklin stove. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a Franklin stove. You've probably heard of them, right? I've heard of them. Um, I don't know what they look like, but it was designed to produce more heat and less smoke than a standard fireplace. So I don't, I don't know if those are still around today or in use today, but he invented it. Dost thou love life? Then do not squander time, for that's the stuff life is made of. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1746. Amen, Brother Ben. And you know what? I follow that because I never, ever say, man, I wish it was Friday. I never wish the time to pass and be gone. I always wish it was last Friday. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've been keenly aware of the passage of time lately. Lost time is is never found again. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1747. Steve, you're bumming us out. Um, No, I'm just thinking how wise I am because a lot of the things I believe... See, you didn't even know. You yeah. didn't even know that Ben Franklin. I told you, me and Ben, me and Ben Franklin were like this. Yeah, he's crossing his fingers. You can't. They can't see that. It's it's a radio show. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, um, Ben Franklin, you can also thank him for those things on your face because he invented bifocal glasses. And uh, maybe one day you can thank him for inventing the flexible urinary catheter. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? That's good, though. It's a flexible one. I hear that the inflexible ones are very uncomfortable. I don't know. And I don't want to know. <laughs> when you're good to others, you're best to yourself. Poor Richard's Almanac, mm-hmm. 1748. That's good. I like that. Ben Franklin's most famous invention slash discovery? Electricity, sort of. Uh, ben Franklin, contrary to what you might have been taught, did not discover electricity. Is that what you thought? Is that what you were taught? Yeah, I mean, we, we were taught he discovered electricity. But That's not true. No, we know it isn't true. Um, he had actually been introduced to the phenomenon by a guy <laughs> named Archibald Spencer. It all comes from that flying the kite with the key on it. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Um, so Archibald Spencer introduced Ben Franklin to the phenomenon of electricity. He had been studying uh, what he called electrical fluid. Now, in 1746, Franklin proposed the idea that vitreous and resinous electrical fluids are the same fluid, just under different pressures. So, in other words, while he didn't discover electricity, Ben Franklin did pioneer the concept of positive and negative electric currents. So Makes sense. That was a big, that's a, a big um, step forward in, um, you know, inventions of uh, electric, electrical nature. Wait, here, here's one that is would be controversial. Apparently, he wasn't big on, like, uh, pardoning the bad is injuring the good. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1748. Mm, we'll just leave that one there. I feel like I could quote John Wayne right now. Do you know what I'm going to say? No. It's mighty bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. Okay. Well, he, he had two eyes. He had two eyes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. He was also the first to discover charge conservation. Now, do you know what charge conservation is in electricity? Do you know that? Not maybe under a different term. Okay, so basically in physics, charge conservation is the principle that the total electric charge in an isolated system never changes. So the net quantity of electric charge, the amount of positive charge minus the amount of negative charge in the universe, is always conserved. Okay. Ben Franklin discovered that. Um, In pursuit of more pragmatic uses for electricity, in spring of 1749, he proposed a dinner party where a turkey was to be killed with an electric shock and roasted on an electrical spit. Woo! (laughs) After having prepared several turkeys this way, Ben Franklin noted that the birds killed in this manner eat uncommonly tender. You know, they used to have a little thing to roast hot dogs. You would take the wiener and you would stick it on one prong and then you would run it across it and you would put it on another prong 
and an electrical charge would go through and it would cook the wiener for you. Probably the same way he was trying to cook his turkey. Probably the same way cooking the turkey. Um, he recounted that... Hide a- not your talents. They for use were made. Okay. Hide not your talents. <laughs> Try that again. For they for use were made. What's a sundial in the shade? One uh, of your talents is not... Poor Richard's Almanac, 1750. Yeah. Um, Ben recounted that in the process of one of his turkey experiments, he was shocked. Like, literally, like... uh, Resulting in numbness in his arms that persisted for one evening, noting, I am ashamed to have been guilty of so notorious a blunder. So now I want to go back and I want to research this and find out how he was generating the electricity. Oh, there you go. That, as fascinating as it sounds, uh, is probably a Steve. A Steve yeah, that's, that's what I want to find out. <laughs> All right. Um, he briefly inve- investigated electrotherapy, including the use of the electric bath, uh, and this work <laughs> led to the field becoming widely known. Uh, so now let's get to the part that I'm sure you've all been waiting for. Flying the kite? The kite experiment. Okay. So the goal of the kite experiment was to prove that lightning is electricity. And he was going to do that by flying a kite in a storm that appeared capable of generating lightning. So on May 10th, 1752, Thomas-Francois Dalibard of France (laughs) conducted Franklin's experiment using a 40-foot-tall iron rod instead of a kite. And he extracted electrical sparks from a cloud... Um, so on June 15th, so that was on May 10th, uh, on June 15th, Franklin may have possibly conducted his well-known kite experiment in Philadelphia, successfully extracting sparks from a cloud. Okay, so this really makes me wonder, because right now, if you go out to barns and old barns, they would have lightning rods. Oh, yeah. So that when the lightning would hit, it would hit yeah. that lightning rod and it would transfer in the ground and not catch the barn on fire. He invented that. Ben Franklin invented a lightning rod. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> so, um, based on this work uh, of Dalibard uh, in France, um, in his 40-foot-tall iron rod. Um, and so, he Ben Franklin described the experiment in the Pennsylvania Gazette on October 19, 1752, without mentioning that he himself had performed it. So he probably talked about um, the guy in France and his, um, essentially, his lightning rod. Uh, and Ben Franklin, you know, used that uh, in his kite experiment to see if he could harvest lightning from the clouds. And then he wrote about it without saying, hey, I did this. He just probably said the guy from France did it or an experiment was performed. Um, now, in his writings, Franklin indicates that he was aware of the dangers And he offered alternative ways to demonstrate that lightning was electrical, as shown by his use of the concept of electrical ground. Um, He didn't perform this experiment in the way that's often pictured in popular literature, flying the kite and waiting to be struck by lightning, because that would have been dangerous. I'm hurt. (laughs) I'm sorry to shatter your childhood. Instead, what he did was just use the kite to collect some electrical charge from a storm cloud, showing that lightning was electrical. So he wasn't, like, necessarily just waiting to get struck by lightning. That's not what happened. He was just kind of in the same way that we conduct electrical charge by rubbing a balloon against... On the dog. ...for whatever. Um, That was what he was doing with the kite. Glass, china, and reputation are easily cracked and never well mended. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1750. Interesting. Now, Franklin's experiments led to the invention of the lightning rod after he surmised that, quote, upright rods of iron made sharp as a needle and gilt to prevent rusting, and from the foot of these rods, a wire down the outside of the building into the ground, would not these pointed rods probably draw the electrical fire silently out of the cloud before it came nigh enough to strike and thereby secure us from that most sudden and terrible mischief? So there you go. He invented the lightning rod. Uh, one of the discoveries that Ben Franklin made that surprised me most was the observation and effect of oil on water. Uh, while traveling on a ship, Franklin had observed that the wake of the ship was diminished when the cooks scuttled their greasy water. And he studied the effects on a large pond in Clapham Common, London. 
He said, I fetched out a cruet of oil and dropped a little, a little of it on the water, though not more than a teaspoonful produced an instant calm over a space of several yards square. He later used that trick to calm the waters by carrying a little oil in the hollow joint of my cane. Now, I had always assumed that this had been lo- known for a long time, but nope. That was Ben Franklin that discovered the oil and water don't mix. What more valuable than gold or diamonds? Virtue. Mm. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1751. Says the philanderer. Not you. You're not a philanderer. You didn't say that. But um, Among his lesser-known contributions were those in population studies, where he discovered that the American population had the fastest growth rate on Earth. Emphasizing that population growth depended on food supplies, Ben Franklin emphasized that the abundance of food and available farmland in America uh, and was able to calculate that America's population was doubling every 20 years and would surpass that of England in a century. So in 1751, he drafted something called Observations Concerning the Increase of Mankind, Peopling of Countries, etc. And four years later, it was anonymously printed in Boston and was quickly reproduced in Britain, where it influenced the economist Adam Smith and later the demographer Thomas Malthus, who is um, pretty famous. Uh, He credited Franklin for discovering a rule of population growth. And Franklin's predictions on how British mercantilism was unsustainable caused so much alarm among the British leaders um, that they imposed more restrictions on the colonial economy because they didn't want to be surpassed by the colonies. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, He also had major impacts on meteorology, oceanography, and maritime commerce, as well as cooling and the wave theory of light. Haste makes waste. Poor Richard's Almanac. Ben Franklin said that, huh? 1753, he said that in Poor Richard's Almanac. Hmm. Now, um, in 1736, we mentioned that he was uh, a philanthropist as well as a philanderer. Uh, And so in 1736, when he was still kind of a young man, um, he created the Union Fire Company, one of the first volunteer firefighting companies in America. And it was one of his earliest um, attempts at public service. Hmm. Search others for their virtues, thyself for thy vices. Hmm, that's a good one. (laughs) Poor Richard's Almanac, 1738. That's a good one. In October 1748... He was elected as a councilman, and in June 1749, he became the Justice of the Peace for Philadelphia. In 1751, he was elected to the Pennsylvania Assembly, and on August 10th, 1753, Ben Franklin was appointed Deputy Postmaster General of British North America. Hmm. So, he was our first Postmaster General, and his most notable service in domestic politics was his reform of the Postal Service, with mail sent out every week. I wonder how involved he was with the Stamp Act. And I wonder what a stamp cost back in the day. I'm so glad that you asked because we're going to talk about it. All right. In just a minute. Um, So Ben Franklin actually was pretty instrumental in the founding of the post office. Uh, That was actually one of his, like, most prized uh, things was the the postal service. Um, In 1751, Franklin and Thomas Bond... Um, obtained a charter from the Pennsylvania legislature to establish a hospital, and the Pennsylvania hospital was the first hospital in what would become the United States of America. He also founded the first homeowner's insurance company. Um, And you asked about the Stamp Act. Now, while he was in London, Ben opposed the Stamp Act. However, he was obviously unable to prevent its passage, and he recommended a friend of his to the post of stamp distributor for Pennsylvania. Now, people were furious because they thought that Franklin had supported the act all along, so they threatened to destroy his house. However, when he testified before the House of Commons that it should be repealed, and that it was, he suddenly became the leading spokesman for American interests in England. So, side note, remember how earlier we mentioned that Ben Franklin wasn't a fan of Germans? Yep. Well, in 1766, he spent a pretty good amount of time in the country... And in the same way that his visits to a black school changed his opinions, so did his time in what was then known as Prussia. He declared a debt of gratitude to German scientist Otto von Gerck for his early studies of electricity, and then he co-authored the first treaty of friendship between Prussia and America in 1785. 
Um, so now after Ben got back to England after his visit... After Washington crossed the Delaware. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> after Ben got back to England after his visits to Germany, tensions were really starting to escalate between the colonies and the crown. Now remember, a little bit of a refresher, the Stamp Act had been passed in 1765. In 1767, the Townsend Act, which was the one that basically taxed all paper and glass and everything else passed... In 1768, British troops were in American streets, and some of the leaders of Massachusetts wrote letters back and forth in which they essentially encouraged Parliament to crack down on Boston. Now, those letters made their way into Ben Franklin's hands, and then into Sam Adams' hands, and then into the press. Uh, Those were known as the Hutchinson letters, and they were just another piece of tinder in what would soon be the fire of a revolution. Uh, so that w- so Ben came back to Philadelphia in May of 1775, was unanimously chosen as the Pennsylvania delegate to the Second Continental Congress. And during that meeting, he was also named the nation's first postmaster general. And then in June 1776, he was appointed a member of the Committee of Five that drafted the Declaration of Independence. And although he was temporarily disabled by gout and unable to attend most meetings of the committee... Franklin made several small but important changes to the draft sent to him by Thomas Jefferson. And at the signing, he is quoted as having replied to a comment by John Hancock that they must all hang together. Yes, we must indeed all hang together, or most assuredly, we shall all hang separately. It is better to take many injuries than to give one. Poor Richard's Almanac, 1735. Nice. Now, after the war, Ben was the American... But I like that last quote he said. Yeah. Uh, Now, after the war, he was the ambassador to France, um, and during the nine years that he was there, he ran up an unexplained shortage of 100,000 pounds of congressional funds. That's a lot of money. And when he was asked about it, Franklin quoted the Bible, saying, Muzzle not the ox that treadeth out his master's grain. And Congress never brought it up again. (laughs) So much. Later, he served as a delegate to the I'm going to run for Congress and and try that one out, see how far it gets. Um, Later, he served as a delegate for the Constitutional Convention, although he mostly sat back and listened rather than debate, aside from that quip about the rising and setting of the sun on George Washington's chair. Uh, A few bits of, of random bits of Ben Franklin trivia. We mentioned that when he was younger, he'd owned slaves, as many as seven at one point. But by 1762, he'd become what can be described as a cautious abolitionist. And although he would go on to write and publish numerous anti-slavery works, including the argument that slavery was an atrocious debasement of human nature and a source of serious evils, he never took a stand or agreed to debate the matter in Congress. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. He was raised in the Puritan tradition, but he considered himself a deist and he saw God in nature. And he was one of those people who didn't see science as a contradiction to religion, but rather as a magnification of God's handiwork. Um, he was also a vegetarian from the time he was a teenager, in spite of that turkey thing. Uh, he, did, he did dip into meat every once in a while. Um, at first, it was because vegetarianism was cheaper. Um, so he, you know, when he was apprentice, he didn't have a lot of money. Penny saved was a penny earned, but he didn't say that. <laughs> But over time, he said that he felt healthier without meat, and he was probably the original meat is murder proponent. Now, that being said, he did eat fish and and that turkey from time to time. When did PETA come around? (sighs) Noting once that fish had other fish in their stomach, so it was okay to eat them. (laughs) But even he realized that was a weak argument, and essentially he came clean that he was just really tempted by fried cod. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing like a good fried fish sandwich. Uh, and, and fries. So, yeah, how are we doing on time? Oh, we're good. We're good? Okay, so um, moralistically, Ben subscribed to 13 virtues. Temperance. Eat not to dullness, drink not to elevation. Now, that's interesting because we're going to talk about his lack of temperance. There's a lot of contradiction in Ben Franklin. Um, silence. Speak not... But what may benefit others or yourself, avoid trifling conversation. Order. Let all your things have their places. Let each part of your business have its time. Resolution. Resolve to perform what you ought. Perform without fail what you resolve. Frugality. Make no expense but to do good to others or yourself. In other words, waste nothing. Industry. 
Lose no time. Be always employed in something useful. Cut off all unnecessary actions. Yeah, you know, as we're all, a lot of us are working from home right now. That's one we have to keep in mind. And I hope my boss isn't listening. Sincerity. Use no hurtful deceit. Think innocently and justly. And if you speak, speak accordingly. And I was just joking about that. (laughs) Justice. Wrong none by doing injuries or omitting the benefits that are your duty. Moderation. Avoid extremes. Forbear resenting injuries so much as you think they deserve. Cleanliness. Tolerate no uncleanliness in body, clothes, or habitation. Tranquility. Be not disturbed at trifles. Or the dogs. Yeah, no uncleanliness. Like when Rupert goes out and rolls in the mud. He doesn't do that often. No. Everyone does that. Or Jack. Pamela said that was the... I took him back out after he did that. I took him out, and he'll just stand there. He likes getting a bath, like just the water hose. You don't have to take him to a tub or anything. Yeah. And... I said to Aaron, apparently I said, you're going to act like a dog? I'm going to treat you like a dog. And Pamela said, that is the most bad thing I've ever heard you say. Uh, ben Franklin's last three three moralistic virtues. Tranquility. Be not disturbed at trifles or at accidents common or unavoidable. Chastity. Rarely use venery, but for health or offspring. Never to dullness, weakness, or the injury of your own or another's peace or reputation. Says Ben Franklin. Humility. Imitate Jesus and Socrates. So that that was Ben Franklin's rules for life. He once said, I guess I don't so much mind being old... As I mind being fat and old. <laughs> so I wonder if they have like, like a lot of people now putting on the COVID-19. I wonder if they put on the smallpox 20 or something back then. As you've probably noticed in pictures, he was a rather portly guy. Um, by the end of his life, Franklin was obese and suffered from gout and pleurisy, which is what ultimately killed him. Yeah, so much for being a vegetarian or vegan <laughs> yeah, right. in your weight. Uh, it was not an easy death. It was actually a very ugly death. When he was 22, Ben wrote his own epitaph. and said, the body of B. Franklin printer, like the cover <laughs> of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here food for worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost. For it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author, capital A author. Hmm. Which I, I really like that. That kind of describes his life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I really like that. That's but, pretty prophetic for being that young to write that and know how he would yeah. change and change his life yeah. and his views. Well, I think it was more like, you know, his, his life is gone but his will um but he will be a new and more perfect edition corrected and amended by god all right i have one more quote okay wish not so much to live long as to live well poor richard's almanac 1738 and i will go ahead and say right now in the the sources all of my quotes came from the ben franklin institute and poor richard's almanac and we will, I guess we should source Ben Franklin himself. Absolutely. Okay. Now, um, in, in spite of that beautiful 22-year-old epitaph, by the time he was 84, Ben Franklin was a much more simple man. And his actual grave just says Benjamin and Deborah Franklin. So. Are they buried in Philadelphia? I think so. Okay. So there you go. My dude, Ben Franklin. Love that guy. Interesting, isn't it? Though, yeah, I mean, yes, I really there there are everybody. so many characters and personalities, <laughs> right? That we've read about or that we know, like mm-hmm. my Pappy Spears, and <laughs> just right a lot of personalities out there, which makes life interesting. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I it just amazes me that Ben Franklin was done with his formal schooling at the age of ten. Yeah. And yet he's one of the wisest people that I can think of. Well. Interesting show. I absolutely learned a lot with this. Okay. And uh, I like that. Thank you. But I am looking. Thank you for letting me do it. (laughs) I am looking forward to next week's episode, and hopefully, we're going to try as we get more settled in right now and get our schedules. We're going to try to get back to a Saturday or a Sunday release. Yeah. So uh, obviously, so it's Thursday now. We're planning on putting this episode out as soon as we get it finished. 
Uh, we are going to, hopefully the next episode will be out on Tuesday, and then we'll be back again on Saturday um, with our, our next episode that we, I have no idea what we're going to do after the interview. We'll figure it out. Yep. Uh, so hopefully we'll be back on Saturdays now that we're kind of, we, we got kind of a flow of things. Everybody's in their proper place and, um, and I've kind of learned to figure out how to adapt to school and work and everything. And so, all right. So how do they get a hold of us with uh, comments, yeah. questions, topics for the show? I almost, uh, I almost yes, said idea, but I can't say that word very well. You, I would love to entertain some topics for the show. So if there's something that you want us to talk about and investigate, please, please, please send you it know, to we us. Get, every week we get people that will write us either through um, our host, Podbean, or through Facebook or something like that. And we always write back and that's Sorry, Jack shaking. Jack. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, yeah so we, we really enjoy that. Um, you can find us at, on Facebook at An Hour of Your Life. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, uh, Twitter is A Lost Hour, and Instagram is An Hour of Your Life. And you can write to us, uh, which is probably the, the best option, honestly, is A Lost Hour at gmail.com. All right. So, from our studios in Sugar Creek Township. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Additional sources for this week's show include Goodreads, ushistory.org, Wikipedia, and the Benjamin Franklin Historical Society. Remember, we are all born ignorant, but one must work hard to remain stupid.